Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Morning, you guys. Welcome. Welcome to Hope. So we're... um... We are in the present series, um, this Christmas series. It's kind of a three-part. There was last week uh, where Danny was talking about um, uh, he was talking about the birth of the church in Acts chapter two, right? And and um, we're moving backwards through the life of Jesus. So we're kind of doing this uh, kind of inverted Christmas series. And this this week I'm I'm going to be sharing with you about the baptism of Jesus and the birth of his ministry. And we're going to end next week in the series on. Um, uh, the birth of Jesus, which is appropriate because next week, it, speaking of next week, Tim mentioned this, but I want to mention it again, that next week we will not be here. We'll be at the Coconut Grove. Um, in fact, all three churches that were in partnership together, so the Coastlands and Scotts Valley Hope and uh, Soquel Hope, which is us, we're all going to come together at the Coconut Grove at the boardwalk. Do you guys know where that is? Probably that's where you had your prom, I would imagine, uh, if you had one. Uh, so. We're going to meet there at 10 o'clock next Sunday. So if you come here, we will be there, all right? So um, so you should come. You should come. And and I can tell you, as part of the team that's been planning this service, it will not be simple. It's going to be epic. There's uh, art and music, and uh, right right now I think the band alone stands at like 12 people. So, I mean, it's it's going to be huge. So, So today we want to do something simple. Next week will not be simple. Today we wanted to do simple. We wanted it to be, because sometimes in the, in the rhythm, the natural rhythm of this season, it can be busy, right? Is anyone busy right now? Are you busy? Is there a lot going on? Are you about to be very busy? It, it's kind of the natural rhythm of this part of the year, isn't it? And so today we wanted to just stop, take a breath, and not be busy this morning. We have a simple worship band, and I have a simple message. We're going to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to make just two observations. Preachers are supposed to have three points. We all know this. But I just have two. I have two observations. We're going to ask some questions of ourselves. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be done. And that's it. So simple. You guys good with simple? All right. Let's do simple. It's a little funny uh, teaching your way through a, a Christmas series. And we're not, we're not, today we're not going to mention shepherds or mangers or wise men or donkeys. We're not going to talk about any of those things. We are talking about a gift, though probably the most important gift ever given in the history of the world. And this gift is summed up in the the last promise that Jesus made to his friends before he left the earth. So this is the moment. So he had had died, he'd been resurrected, and he was having a moment with them before he ascended into heaven. And his friends gathered, and it was recorded that he said a few words, and this was the very last thing he said. He said, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And Peter responded and said, don't call me Shirley. That was a a dad joke. Man, okay, I'm not going to do that in the second service. That that pitiful laugh let me know where I stood with that one. Let me just hang on. Let me take that out of the notes real quick. Uh, He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The very end of the age. This is a, that's a big promise, right? Does it, does it seem like this 
has always been true. When you think about the natural story of your life, looking back, because we struggle, right? We've had, you've had struggles. I've had, I've had struggles, dark moments. When you look back, do you, has it been your story that you said, when I was in that moment, I felt that Jesus was with me always? Did you always feel that way? I mean, you might, you might, with a healthy perspective, you might look back and say that now, but at the moment, did you feel that Jesus, with, were you aware of his presence in that moment? That's quite a promise. I mean, when you think about it, until the end of the age, that's like when the curtain comes down on the whole thing, from now until then, I'll be with you. You know, I have to be really careful about making promises. With three kids, my kids know that I love to say what they want to hear. They know me. They know me. And so when I come home from work, I'll open the, up the door, I'll walk in, and one or more of them will greet me with a question. Dad, hey, Dad. And of course, they're whispering, right? So that someone else can't hear them. Dad, hey, Dad, hey, hey, could we watch Star Wars tonight? And they're, you know, I'm just getting off work, getting home, and I'm like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Yes, we're watching Star Wars tonight. And I look up, and I see Amy's face, and she's like, you know, like, come on. Are you serious? Because they... Because here's the deal, they know the dynamic that I, once I say something, that we're going to do something, I really, I, have, I can't go back on it. You know, I, I, can't, I have a really hard time with that. And so Amy reminds me all the time, be careful what you promise. Don't make big promises. Jesus makes a huge promise here. I wonder if we fully understand the, the depth and the breadth of that promise. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. We're going to look at the reality of what he promised here and see that it's far more radical than we might think. So we're going to read the, from this. I, I find this story really fascinating. It's from the eyewitness account of Matthew. So it's in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, in fact, if you have a, a Bible, one with pages, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 3, or you can dial it up on your phone. I'll also have it up on the screen here for you. There's this deep and profound truth for us to ponder in this story. Um, but first, we need to get all the puzzles, the pieces, out on the, on the table. Have you ever done a really big puzzle? Um, we, our, our, Amy thought it would be a good idea for our, to, for our family to do a big puzzle um, uh, several weeks ago, and we got this big puzzle, and we, we dumped it out onto the dinner table. But once you dump it out on the dinner table, like, you're kind of committed. You know, like, you start the puzzle, and then this, like, we were all in for, like, several hours. And then the next night, we worked on it. And by night five, we're like over it. You know, we're like pushing it around, putting the food on top of it. You know, nobody wanted this puzzle anymore because it had, it probably had, a, it had a thousand pieces, but it had a lot of the pieces were just like background, so they're just the same color. Have you ever done one of these? It's a nightmare. It's like torture. You're like, nope, 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 nope. Ah, you know, you just, it's the worst. So, but the key is to doing a big puzzle, you get all the edge pieces out, right? all the pieces out. And it, it, you can't have pieces in the box. If you, do, if you have pieces in the box, you're not, a serious, you're not serious about finishing this puzzle. So for today, what I want to do is get the, get the pieces out. Let's get the pieces out. And this is one of the pieces I wanted to get out. There's a, obviously I've, been, I've already talked about it. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. I have a daughter and I have two sons. I want to tell you about my son, Andrew. Uh, in fact, here's a picture of Andrew. I have a picture of him. That's not him. That's a bird. There he is. There's Andrew. That's his, that's his birthday cookie right there. Um, I'm proud of Andrew. He's amazing. I was so happy when he showed up. 
And he seemed happy to meet us. He was a very happy baby. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of him. He's, a, he's amazing. He's talented. Um, and he's full of joy. He brings a bunch of joy to our house. And I'm, I'm, a great, I'm, I'm just grateful that he's a part of our house. I, I want to show you how talented he is. First, first, let me show you a drawing that he did for me when he was six years old. Um, it's a, yeah, there he is. Uh, so so he, did, he did hundreds of these. I would come home from work, and he'd have a dozen of these drawings in a little notebook he would do. And I know you can tell, but I'm just going to tell you. That's me on the right. See? And that's him down there, and that's a heart. That, yeah. And he would give these to me when I'd come in. Look, Dad, I drew this for you. He had hundreds of them. It was, it was amazing. And I was so proud. I was like, wow, you really captured my likeness. Those are definitely my teeth, for sure, you know? Um, now I want to show you what he's drawing now. Check this out. This is just a few years on, and uh, yeah, there, there he is. So he's, he's improved some, huh? That's Star Wars. We're big Star Wars fans. That's Darth Maul and some Jedi lady. I'm proud of him. I'm, I'm proud of how far he's come. with his. When he brings me a drawing, I sit. I take a moment, and we... We talk about it and his perspective and the line work and his color choices because I'm proud of him. Can you see that I'm proud of him? Can you see that? So that's a piece of the puzzle that I'm just going to kind of leave on the table here. Uh, that's part of the story that we're talking about. And, and now, now we're going to read. This is um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Okay? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And Matthew says this. He says, In those days... John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So let's, let's pull back for just a second. Keep your thumb on the page there if you've got your Bible open. We're going to keep reading, but what's happening here? John the Baptist, okay, Baptist isn't his last name. It was, they gave him his, this title. It was something he was doing. It says he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. You know, it's easy to think about uh, Israel as being kind of like there's some cities and then a bunch of desert. I, I've been there. I've been exactly where it's talking about. And actually, um, there's trees, a bunch of trees and bushes. And they don't have real tall trees like we do, but they have trees, lots of trees and bushes and rocks, and it's, it's rocky, and um, there's paths, and there's lots of grasses. Natural grass grows there. And it's this wilderness. And John was living rough out in this wilderness, and he came from that wilderness, and he would go from town to town, and he had this very simple message, repent. That means to contemplate your actions and feel sorrow about the actions that don't reflect God's character. That's what repent means. And he says, do this, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, we have an unfortunate handicap as modern people because when we hear the word, it automatically puts an image in our head when we hear the word heaven. What do you think of when you hear the word heaven? Up, a nice place somewhere that if you're a good person, you go there when you die, right? Am I right? That's, that's what people think of when they think of heaven. That's not what these ancient Hebrews thought of when they heard that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because they thought, when they heard the word heaven, what they thought of is how the Bible describes heaven, which is the space where God occupies. Wherever he is, his, close to him is heaven. And they knew the story that 
At one point, God and his space, or heaven, actually enveloped the earth. But this is where heaven was. But it retreated when we began to make choices that didn't reflect his character. It retreated from earth. And what John is saying is the, the kingdom of heaven, that space, is near. It's close by. What does that mean? It's close by. It's near. Now, Matthew goes on to say this. He says, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. You see the extra quotation marks there? So Matthew is quoting John, who's quoting Isaiah, who's quoting John from the future. That's a head trip right there, right? Isaiah prophesied. So Isaiah did a lot of He's an Old Testament prophet, if you haven't heard of him. He was a prophet and a poet, and he looked forward to all kinds of things. And he, he had visions. He had visions, and he heard God words in his head, and he wrote them down as poetry. And he wrote about all kinds of things, including Jesus, where he would be born, and what kind of person he would be, and things he would do. But he also wrote about the person who would prophesy about. So he wrote about the man who would prophesy about the man. Right? He wrote about John, and this is what he said, that he'd be a voice like one calling in the wilderness. And there he was, the wilderness of Judea, right? Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Now, John said it as repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Isaiah said, prepare the way for the Lord. That word Adonai means a ruler and make straight the paths for him. This is these are images he's conjuring up. Think about the contrast between the way Isaiah said it and the way John says it. All right? So what is, what is John doing? He's preparing the way for a ruler, a king. A king is coming. That's what he's saying. That's what Isaiah and John are in agreement about. There's a king who's on his way. And in ancient times when a king would travel in a third world country, people would go out ahead of him and make sure that the path was, they call it making the path straight. It meant that the road was clear. There were no obstacles and that things were relatively attractive along the way. They, they cleared the way. That's what John is saying. He's telling people to do that, clear the way, prepare the way. Where? In this physical space? No, in here, right? Prepare the way. How do you do that? Repent, he says. It tells us that John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and, all, and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. See, he's, he's building on this expectation. Repent. Prepare the way. The kingdom of heaven is near. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor. Do you know what a winnowing fork is? Neither do I. I don't know what it is. Um, no, it's a, uh, I had to look it up, actually. I didn't know. It, it's when you're, um, when you're threshing wheat. So it, was a, uh, so it would help separate the good wheat from the chaff, the junk that would be burned afterwards. So you're separating all the good stuff for harvest. There's a long pointy thing with pointy things on the end, and you separate it, a winnowing fork. So he's, he's, there's this image that, that God is separating, separating. He's, he's bringing separation here. Um, he's clearing his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized. So here's John. He's, he's preaching this message, right? There's this renewal movement. There's people following him. There's all this activity, and it's all centered around the River Jordan. And he's, he's baptizing people, and, and people begin to follow him. John had disciples. It's recorded later. He had a whole group of people following him, and he's teaching them. And just, just into this moment, here's, here's Jesus, and Jesus shows up, and John says, no, 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 I, I need to baptize you. And do you, why do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. That's a piece of the puzzle right there, so let's put that on the table too. Jesus said we have to do this right now, to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, That's a corner piece. Let's, let's leave that right out on the table. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now check this out. This, this is incredible right here what happens. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God. Who saw the Spirit of God? Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Who says alighting? It's a bird. It alighted on his shoulder. It's, it rested, right? It landed. It landed on his, on his shoulder. And a voice from heaven said, this is my, my son. It's my boy. I'm proud of him. I love him. And with him, I am well pleased. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Strange, though, isn't it? It's strange. So what's happening here? So John the Baptist, do you, do you, do you read this and think, John the Baptist sounds like a crazy person, right? He, he sounds crazy. He's, what, did, what did it say? He's dressed in... Camel's hair, animal skins, right? And he's got a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and honey. He sounds like a crazy person. In fact, this is John the Baptist was the first genuine prophet of God in 400 years. So if you don't know, the time between David uh, in the Old Testament, David the king, and Jesus, about 1,000 years, there was, there was a whole bunch of activity during that time. If you flip open your the Old Testament, and you read from 2 Kings on up to the, the Gospel of Matthew, that whole section is occupied by all of these prophets. There's major prophets, and there's minor prophets. There's prophets everywhere. And prophets were people that, that were close to God, and they, they saw visions, and they would hear his voice, and they would write down his words. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them would write these words in the form of poetry like Isaiah. 
And they would hear from God and they would speak like oracles to the people. They would say, here is what God says to his people. And sometimes people listened to these prophets and other times they didn't listen. But there was all of this activity where God was speaking, pleading with his people, guiding and leading. And then with the prophet Malachi. So if you, if you're, if you got a Bible and you, you're open to Matthew, if you flip backwards, the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament was Malachi. It's just a short little book. And when Malachi was done speaking, God was silent to his people for 400 years. And then comes John. And John, he, he comes out of the wilderness wearing animal skins and eating locusts and honey. What is that all about? He's wearing a costume. This is a costume. He was, he was just a normal guy. In fact, he came from money. This guy, his, his, fa- his father was a priest in the temple. So this guy, he wasn't, he wasn't poor. He, didn't have, he was, didn't not have resources. But he dressed in the costume and the images of Elijah. He, if, go and check it out. Look, look, at, look at Elijah. He, he, he wore animal skins, and he would eat locusts and honey. This was a symbol. He was... He was just fully in the part. He wanted people to see him and recognize what was happening. God was speaking again. And he called people, John called people from the brokenness of society, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. He came out of the wilderness to the town. He'd say, come away, come away with me, come to the river. Oftentimes, these towns that he was preaching at were, were dozens of miles from the river. So they would have, this is a big commitment without a car, right? Hey, come walk with me for like 25 miles to the river. That's like, that's your whole day. If you're making that trip, you're packing a snack. Like, you're, that's the whole day. And it was a symbol. Come out of these broken societies. Come out of these broken cultures. I think there's, there's something in there for us. To this very day, God has been calling his people. Come out of that brokenness. You know, our... Uh, the society that we're in presently, right now, I mean, you and I, like our, our present society is one just like a whole bunch of other cultures and society down through the ages. It's broken. It's broken. I mean, just look around at the way people treat each other, the way we're so easily divided. It's so easy to fall into the trap of believing that it's us versus them, right? So much division. And God is saying, come up and out of that brokenness. There's a new way. The kingdom of heaven is here. Now, there's historical records of Jewish people baptizing before John. It was rare, but they did. And what they would do is, if you were a Gentile, meaning a non-ethnically Jewish person, and you wanted to be a part of the Jewish religion, there was a way for you to do that. They would baptize you with water, and you'd become a... um, an honorary Jew, <laughs> and you could practice uh, uh, their religion and sacrifice in the temple. And John appropriates this ritual and inverts it. So now, so he's not baptizing Gentiles. He's baptizing Jews. He's baptizing Jews in the river. This would have been very strange for a Jewish person. Um, in fact, his ministry motto was Duncan Jews. That was his I try these out in the first service so I can get this out of the way, and then the second service, I, I, I'm not going to do that. That's, yeah, yeah, thanks for that reaction. That, was, that told me what I needed to know. <clears throat> um, so he uses this 
He uses water to baptize people, and there's a, there's a symbol there. There's something he's trying to, to demonstrate, and that's this cycle of death and rebirth. Now, the, the Jewish people saw the symbol of baptism as relating back to the flood. In fact, here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says this, and this water, he's talking about baptism, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Now the removal of dirt from the body, but the, flood, uh, the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. So he's connecting the flood with baptism. It's renewal. So there's this renewal movement happening. And into this wild, not tame, powerful moment that's dripping with symbolism, here steps Jesus, the man from Galilee, it says. He steps into this moment, and he tells John to baptize him. Did, did Jesus need to be baptized? Did... did well, let me ask you this. Did, was there something that Jesus needed to repent for? No. It's a symbol. That's right. He, the reason he chose to be baptized is because he wanted to demonstrate his willingness to be among and with his people. Remember what he, he promised? Surely I will be with you until the end of the age. To be with someone, you have to be with them. You have to be among them. So the first act of his, the inauguration of his ministry is to be baptized with a bunch of sinners and stand among the repentant. It's kind of beautiful when you think about it, right? Now, we talked about Isaiah, talking about John, right? Isaiah lived 700 years before this moment. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. This is Isaiah speaking about this very moment that we just read about. He says this, a shoot will come up from the stump. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot. That's like new growth, right? Something green. Have you ever seen a tree that has been cut down? Something new grows from it? There's, there's actually one right outside the door. Have you guys ever noticed this? Have you, you guys have seen it. There, there's a tree. When you guys go out, I mean, don't do it right now. That would hurt my feelings. But what? When this is over, go out, and you should, when you're leaving, check it out. You should, there's a stump right outside this door in the parking lot. It's, it's right there. The tree got cut down some years ago. In fact, it wasn't that long ago. I was here when it got cut down. It's like 15 years ago. It got cut down, and then it just grew back. Like, one day something green came out of it, this dead thing, and it grew into a new tree. It's odd looking, but it's a, it's a, it's a tree. You can see it right out there. Isaiah says a, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. What's the stump of Jesse? Do you know who Jesse was in the Old Testament? Jesse? Uncle Jesse? Not Uncle Jesse from Full House. Uh, Jesse, he's the father of David. So the people, oftentimes the Israelites were referred to as the people of David. And Jesse was their, was their progenitor, their father. So the, the stump, this is, this is the people of God. Their systems of worship and culture were dead and dying, okay? And Isaiah foresaw this. He saw this. The, the system of temple worship was about to die, and out of that death comes new life. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch. Now, you notice the word branch is capitalized, right? It's a proper name, the branch. Who's the branch? Who's the branch that grows from where there was death? 
Jesus. And that branch will bear fruit. Who's the fruit? We are. We're the fruit. The branch and the fruit, right? This, now, listen to this. See if this sounds familiar. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Didn't we just read about this? Yeah. The 700 years before it happened, this is what it says. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked." Behold, I am making all things new, is what Jesus says. When you, when you flip to the back of the Bible, there's a book called The Revelation of John. And at the beginning, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. It's life from death. And that life produces fruit. And that fruit is us. So as Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then then you know that there's a dynamic in play here where Jesus is living in you, but also through you, right? He's living through you. And as Jesus lives in us and through us, so here's my first of two observations. This is it. Something that was dead can be brought back to life. As he lives in us and through us, where there was death, there can be life. That's good news. That's really good news. There's places in my heart that were dead. And there's nothing that I could have done to brought them, bring them back to life. But Jesus living in me and through me has brought life where there was death. Here's what Isaiah says in chapter 42. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. This, I just want to observe this real quick. This is kind of interesting. Does this language sound like what Jesus heard in the vision from heaven? Does that sound familiar? Let's go back and read it for just a second. Let's check back. Look at What does Jesus hear? That moment the heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, do you notice that Isaiah says, This is my servant, but in the moment, God says, this is my son. See, I don't know if the Old Testament prophets were ready for that revelation of sonship. You know, when they, they were monotheists like us, meaning mono, one, theist, God, they, they believed in one God, and as do we. But, but now we, we know that God has these three essences, these three persons within himself, the Father and the Son represented by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And all three come together in this moment. And when Isaiah foretold this moment, he says, here's my servant. He's talking about the Messiah, but he wasn't quite ready for that revelation. I think there's times, there's been times in my life where I think, when I look back, I go, God was so gentle with me. He knew I wasn't ready. He gave me a part of the picture, and now I see better. So that makes me go, well, I wonder now what it is I'm not ready for yet, you know? That makes me want to prepare my heart and get my heart ready for what comes next. Doesn't, doesn't it you? Yeah. So as Jesus lives in us and through us, 
we become not just loved, we become his delight. That's what Isaiah says, my chosen one in whom I delight. Placing his Holy Spirit on his son was an act of love. And now that same one that he chose, that he loves, that he delights in, is living in you and through you. And so God is not just loving you today, he delights in you today. That's something special, isn't it? So remember, uh, I talked about my son, Andrew, and the way I'm proud of him and I, I delight in him. In the very same way, God delights in you. He celebrates you. He treasures you. Because his son lives in you, and God delights in him, so he delights in you. I think, I've said this before, but I'll say it again right now. I, I think about it often. We, we've got it backwards in Christianity where we think about, we think Christianity is about what we're being saved from, but it's who we're being saved for. He's saving you for himself because he wants you. You are wanted. That's amazing. Is that amazing? It says in that story that when the heavens were opened, Jesus saw something. That's, that's very specific language that Matthew uses because every time that language is used in the Old Testament, when the heavens were opened, it's preceded by a vision, a prophet having a vision, a revelation. Like the, real, the skin of reality being pulled back and someone viewing heavenly things when heavens were opened. That's, a, that's what that phrase means. Who's having the vision here in this baptism moment? Who's having the vision? Jesus. And the vision that he had was this, the Spirit of God hovering over him. You know, that language is really specific too. If you go to the very beginning of the book of the, uh, the beginning of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, there's a moment like this where it says God's spirit hovered over the waters. It hovered over all of creation. It's a creation moment. There's only one other place in all the Bible that that language is used. It's in the Psalms when it talks about a bird, a dove, hovering over her young. Right? It's, it's meant to cause us to think about the spirit of God and creation, things being created. And this is a creation moment. This is new creation was being birthed in this moment where Jesus is baptized. And all of us are standing here where we're standing or sitting um, because of this moment right here. As Jesus comes to live in us and through us, we become an extension of this new creation on the earth. Remember, John preached, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near because we're a part of it. And as we share the good news with others, more people become a part of it. And the kingdom of heaven grows here on earth. God's presence is slowly returning. Behold, I am making all things new. Do you know what happened immediately after this story, this baptism story? Do you know what happened to Jesus? Just write exactly what happens next. Does anyone know? Where did he go? He went to a place. He went into the wilderness. Yeah. You, know, you might be having a moment right now. You know, this, this day might be a moment for you. You might feel close to God in this moment. I, I do. I, I feel his presence in the room. I'm not sure 
be spooky. I just, I, I feel it. You know, I'm with you guys, and we're worshiping, and I feel the presence of God more real right now than maybe another moment. But tomorrow is still Monday, isn't it? Yeah. T- tomorrow, the wilderness. Today, the presence. But tomorrow, Monday still comes. There's, you know, you might be having a moment right now, but nothing about this moment has made all of the problems and challenges in your life change. They're still there. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but it's still, it's still there. It's all still waiting for you because the desert is real. But so is the promise of his presence. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find Hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.